0: Welcome to episode 97 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, I know all of us are ready to flip the chapter of 2020. And begin a new one in 2021. I don't know what 2020 had for you. Maybe it was some missteps and some failures and things that didn't turn out right. Just not only for you personally, but in your family or in your business or with the team that you lead. And I know for all of us, corporately, we face things we never saw coming. Sometimes we get into a life and we want to just turn it around. We just want a fresh start. We want to be able to set new goals and dream new dreams and do new things. Well, today, our guest did just that with his life. In fact, his new book that's coming out is called Turn Your Season Around. He was the first overall pick in 1980 by the New York Mets, won World Series titles with the Mets in 83 and the Yankees in 96, 98, and 99. We remember him as the young man who burst on the major league scene as a number one draft pick, who you thought was going to be everything that the scouts saw in him. And boy, did he have a great career. He was an eight-time All-Star, four-time world champion, 335 homers, 1,000 RBIs, 221 stolen bases. But yet, there was so much of his life that didn't turn out like he thought it would or like anybody thought it would. And Daryl Strawberry found himself in a place where there was nowhere left to turn but the Lord. And boy, did that turn change his life. Today, you probably tuned in to hear a lot about baseball, and you'll hear a little bit, but you're going to hear a lot about Jesus. You're going to hear a lot about the redemption story of Daryl Strawberry and the lessons he learned in his nine innings that have changed his life. Today is going to be one of those that you look back on and you go, I am better for that time I got to listen to this podcast. So I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're doing. You may be on a treadmill. You may maybe on a baseball field right now on a tractor, doing some dragging, getting the field ready for the season, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, listen in good. If you can take out a pen or a pencil, something to thumb into, I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with one of my heroes growing up. And even now, one of my heroes in the faith, Mr. Daryl Strawberry. Well, Daryl, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you, buddy. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Thanks for having me. I
1: appreciate it and looking forward to talking to you.
0: Man, you you have had an incredible journey. When you were before, long before your, your World Series championships and your all-star appearances, you were a baseball player at Crenshaw High School. Everybody's flocking. The scouts are sitting in the stands. They've got their, their two-to-eight scale measuring, getting ready for that draft. And they're measuring all the tools they saw on the field. What was going on in Darryl Strawberry's life they couldn't see? Tell me about that young kid that those scouts were measuring to make the number one pick in the draft for the Mets. What couldn't they see that was going on in your life? Well,
1: that's a real good question, Mike, because most people never get to see uh, the broken part of you and who you are and where you come from. Uh, I came from a totally uh, dysfunctional home. You know, my father was a raging alcoholic, and uh, he had been separated from us for a very long time, but, you know it was that one night that final night where he came home after drinking and, and acting crazy with my mother we woke up in the middle of the night and my older brother Michael told him wont well, just get out of here and leave us alone and um he said well I'll kill all you guys he pulled out a shotgun and I was fourteen years old and Ronnie was fifteen and Mike was uh, sixteen so uh, we kind of went into action there Ronnie went to grab the butcher knife and I grabbed the frying pan and and it had it not been for my mother. She was a little, little woman, you know, batik. And she just got us, made us get out of the house because there it could have been a tragedy in my life before I ever put a uniform on. So brokenness is real. I think lawlessness brings about brokenness. And I think a lot of times people don't recognize that they could just look from the perspective of the outside, what a person looked like, but they never know what's what's happening to a person on the inside. And so, on the inside of my life, Mike, I was deeply wounded. I had scars. I had issues before I ever put the uniform on. And, and I was thinking, wow, it, it could have been a major tragedy in my life of killing my father that night had it not been for our mother.
0: So is that where that door, because I've heard you share in some interviews before, and even in your new book, which we're going to talk about today, you shared that that you began to do some substance and marijuana and all that. was around, Was all that around the same time, Daryl?
1: No question, around the age of 14, 15 years old, that's when I started uh, smoking marijuana and drinking. And I started uh, not going to school, junior high school. I started getting in a lot of trouble and, and ditching junior high school and just staying home and after mom go to work and just hang out with some friends and, and smoke marijuana all day and, and drink and, and gamble. And just, just all kind of things were just on the table at that time for me, because I think the emptiness on the inside was so real. I was hurting so deep on the inside. And, you know, had it not been for had it not been for my mother and had it not been for coaches coming around, I probably wouldn't have never been pulled out of that hole. But you know, I, I think, you know, during that period of my life, you know, I was really lost and very confused. You know, why 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 you don't have a father figure at home? Why why does your dad don't love you? And you know, I think that's what every boy look look for in his life. You know, of course you you know mom is gonna always be there no matter what, you know, <laughs> <'cause> she, <laughs> she birthed you, so she's gonna always be there for you, but you wonder. Where's your father figure at?
0: And your mom was a constant. I know you share about it in the book. Your mom, your mom was a prayer warrior. Wasn't she? She was a winner, man. She was a complete prayer warrior. She
1: prayed like crazy for us. And you know, when we were lost and broken and when I was lost and broken and living a heathen life and a major league baseball player, she wasn't concerned about that. She was praying for me and she was praying for my brothers and sisters. She was praying that God would save us and just God would knock me off my own throne and, And saved me, and and her prayers came to pass. She didn't get a chance to see it in the natural, but she's looking down on the supernatural, and she's probably thinking, she's saying, wow. I know, because she had told me before, you know, before she passed away, she said, oh, girl, you're going to go through it. She said, God spoke to me, and you're going to go through it. But she said, God said he's going to get it out of you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He got it out of you all
1: right, didn't he? (laughs) He did. He did. It was a process, but he totally got it out of me. I'm thankful for that for mom, you know.
0: You know, it's so funny. People look at your life and they they watch you on ESPN or they watch you uh, play for the Mets or the Yankees or the Giants or the Dodgers, and everything looked great. But yet, you're saying off the field, there was an emptiness that was – let me ask you this way. Did the emptiest emptiness get smaller or bigger as you got older? What would you say? I think –
1: I think the emptiness got bigger Mm -hmm. as I got older, you know, because I was achieving so many great things from a, you know, athletic standpoint, but I wasn't achieving from a man standpoint. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't understand that. They think, well, because you're, you're successful, you're winning trophies, you're, you're all-star games, you're rookie of the year, all these different things. They think, well, you should be totally happy. But what they don't understand is all that stuff can't fill the empty void on the Mm -hmm. inside. The empty void on the inside of all of us was created by God in, in a place where only for God. And I think, you know, when you understand someone like King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, how he talks about that, everything is meaningless under the sun without right. God. You know, he went on to accomplish all these wonderful things, he, you know, that he had, the, the richest, the wisest man in Jerusalem. And here it is. He goes back and he has this deep sorrow inside of himself. of Why didn't I stay on? god's plan why did i get on my own plan and i think that's what happens to a lot of us when we achieve a lot of things Is look what i've done but at the end of the day when you go back home and still that empty void that god created for him to fit in on the inside of us is still empty until he pours into our life. And I think that's what I was experiencing throughout my entire career. Why was I never happy? I was, I was, you know, happy the fact that I was playing baseball winning and it was part of great teams and everything. You celebrate that for a moment, but then after it's over with you take the uniform off, who are you? And I think that's a big problem. in a lot of, you know, famous people life, you know, who am I after I take the uniform off, who really likes me, who really cares about me, who really knows me.
0: That's rip, boy, that's a powerful statement there. I remember hearing Dion share in an interview one time about winning a Super Bowl and putting on the ring and driving home and wanting to drive off a bridge because he was so empty. You know, every player plays to do what you did. I mean, you played, not only just played in a World Series, you have four World Series rings, which are incredibly hard for a player to ever achieve. What did it feel like to you to know I've accomplished everything I could accomplish all-star on a world series team win the ring, but yet I still feel empty. What did, what was going through your mind when you looked in the mirror at that time, what was happening in Daryl Strawberry's mind? It
1: was, it was was really happy moments, you know, for a period of time, you know, happy moments, joyful moments, but also in the same time, you want to know who, who you are, what's the purpose of all this, you know, because nothing lasts forever. And you know this baseball is not gonna last forever. And then then what's next in your life? But you know what happened to me was I got a chance, I really got a chance and a real glimpse to see uh what, what it's like to be happy. And when I watched Gary Carter and when I watched Mookie Wilson and I watched them live a different life, I watched them live a life of being a baseball player, but they never uh crossed over, they never compromised. Uh, their their faith and their walk and who they was. They never went out to strip clubs. They never went out to nightclubs or anything like that. They would go out to dinner with us and they say, well, we'll see you at the ballpark tomorrow. Mm. And the thing about it was they never condemned us. They never, you know, said anything, point fingers at us. And that was the kind of life that I really wanted. I, I saw them as a player that they were had so much joy playing the game, but they were also content. They were content with their family. They were family, you know, family, Family was first, you know, that yeah. God, you know, they did, you know, those are the kind of things that players really notice, but they don't, a lot, a lot of players didn't pay attention because they didn't think it was real until after Carter passed away. And then they realized that this man lived a life better than you could ever imagine. He did not uh, point no fingers at anyone, but he did not ever compromise and get into anything that was outside of who he said he was. He said he loved God. And he showed that, he displayed that, and that's really what it's all about at the end of the day. And that's what I saw, and that's what I wanted. That's what I was really hungry for, uh, someone life that shined in a, such a different way.
0: You know, Daryl, there's a ton of coaches and folks, scouts, coaches, uh, ADs, that are, that are a segment of our listening audience. If they've got a young Daryl Strawberry on their team and they see there's something missing, what's something you would tell them and encourage them with?
1: Well, I would encourage them to find out um, what is life like, what is home life is really like. Uh, because I think most of the problems in our society today comes from broken homes, separated, um, no father figures around, mother's figures are always there. Uh, the fathers are too busy or they're not, they're absent. And 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 the young boy grows up and he grows up wondering, is something wrong with me? Mm. And, and, and then, what happens to them? Not only if they play sports, but the temptation and challenges out there are going to be right in front of them too. And will you be able to have enough, uh, enough strength to be able to pull yourself away from it, or will you be one that falls into it just like everybody else? And I think that's what happens. So I would encourage them to really, you know, really, really talk to a person and, and really try to get a, get to understand what what is home life is really like i think a lot of times we miss out on that on young people and we just think everything should be okay you know because you're showing up every day you look yeah. strong you look big you look healthy you're playing well but uh, i think a lot of times we don't know that people are really hurting and in, in in this generation that we're growing up right now the kids are anti-social uh social media driven they don't talk a lot uh, we really don't um we don't spend a lot of time. I would encourage, you know, coaches, A D, whatever you are, spend spend time, you know, talking to a kid and find out more about a
0: situation and who he is. Do you think something could have been different for you had that happened? If there somewhere in, in one of your minor league affiliates or even there at Crenshaw or even young in the bigs, if a coach had come up to your locker and just pulled up a chair and said, Man, seems like something's wrong. Tell me your story. Could things have possibly been different for you, you think?
1: Well, that's a great possibility um, if you you had someone to come along of you. I think everybody just looked at me from a, a, a natural talent, yeah. you know, and, and coming to play sports. You know, when I was in high school, I was um, just naturally talented. You know, I played basketball and, you know, I had fun playing basketball. I remember my basketball coaches really brought a lot of discipline in me. I changed a lot. I think that's why the reason I, I learned from there never to quit again is mm. because of what they taught me. Um, you have to work through the through the painful parts of life and everything. I think my baseball coach was a great baseball coach, uh, but he saw, uh, he just saw a talent that, you know, that was going to probably be a high draft pick. And, you know, he was excited just as well as I was excited. And, you know, I think going through the minor leagues, everybody was like more looking at me. Uh, will you fulfill the promises that yeah. are over yeah. your life? You know, more than anything, instead of uh, looking at, I mean, I, re- I remember, I remember had trouble in, um, uh, uh, a ball Lynchburg, Virginia. I did have some trouble down there, you know, where I experienced some things and, you know, my coach Gene Dusan was there and, and I just went kind of a little a wall. And then, then I had my dear friend, um, Lloyd McClendon come down cause he was, he stayed in extended spring training mm. cause he had broke his hand. He was supposed to be my roommate. And I went down before him during the course of the season. And I got involved in like smoking weed and, you know, just frustrated and didn't want to play baseball. And then Lloyd came down, finally came, they sent him and he saw me and he was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you know. It <laughs> was like a big brother to me, you know. It's just like, you know, somebody I needed. And, you know, he was a little bit older and and you know, he experienced, you know, life a little bit different. And and he he was there for me. And, you know, he just made a difference in in my situation to make me uh work through that whole process of that year. Because after that year I wanted to quit baseball. Mm. Um then had I not then they asked me to give it another year, then I went to Jackson, Mississippi, and I became the Texas League MVP, then I became a baseball player. I didn't become a man, Mike. I became a baseball player. What people don't okay. understand, you know, throughout throughout my whole time of playing, I was never a man. I never uh came to that place of understanding what's the purpose of being a man with stability in his life, not baseball and performance, but real stability in his life. And I I never came to that place. I I didn't find that until later after my career, after I met Jesus, see I became a man when I met Jesus, did my whole life change, but I wasn't a man throughout my baseball career.
0: And age has nothing to do with that. Does it age? There is no number on becoming a man. Why did meeting Christ Daryl, help you become something a game and the accolades couldn't help you become because what
1: happened was we come, coming to christ christ uh filled those, those empty voids on the inside everything that we look for we try to fill it with so many other things more money more, a bigger home more cars all that plays out all that all that doesn't last for just a hot second yeah. and then what you're still back is the same and uh, meeting christ you know was a, a game changer for me when i finally met christ like the people say uh, how did you find God? God was never lost. I was lost, (laughs) you know, and and that's the point that we have to understand. He's not lost. He's still there. He's still sitting on on the throne waiting for you to come and surrender yourself. But finding Christ was just, you know, everything that I had been looking for uh, that was missing on the inside of me, The, the joy, the peace, the strength, the power, the knowledge. I mean, it was far greater than I could ever imagine that he had for me. And I think it's, sometimes people don't understand the relationship that you go into when you have a relationship with the uh, living God. It's totally different than anything else. when I experienced the relationship with him, it was the peace that I was looking for. He gives you that peace that surpasses all understanding right. that you don't even understand. He gives you the wisdom and the knowledge that you don't even understand, but it, it comes to you in such a way when you come into that personal relationship. Now you understand why you were created. You don't know mm-hmm. I think we all want to know why we're created. We just don't want to be here. A, a lot of people come through here and they just pass through here and they miss the boat. You know of. of, of coming and having a personal relationship with Christ. And then you can fulfill the promises that's over your life. The promises over our life is not sports. You know, I think too many people think that it is. That's not the promise. That's the ability that you have been given to play sports. But the promises over our life is far greater than we can ever imagine. And when you start entering into a relationship and picking up the Bible, and like the Bible said, uh, my people perish because of lack of knowledge. There's no knowledge and understanding of who God is. That's why we perish as people. And that's why I was perishing because I had no knowledge of who God was. And it wasn't until I started reading the Bible and saturating myself and, and staying in the Word and allowing the Holy Spirit to. Teach me the word of God, so I can operate in the purpose that I was created. You,
0: you made a statement earlier, and I thought was so powerful. And the statement was, you were talking about being a player, and and uh, everybody wants something from you. You don't really know who to trust. I think every professional athlete would tell people, you don't know who you can trust. And and do they want me for me, or do they want me for something else? What did Jesus ultimately want from Daryl Spr- Strawberry? What what could you bring him? That he needed, what would you say? Nothing,
1: <laughs> there's nothing you can bring him that he needed. All he wants for you is to be free. Mm. Mm. That is it's is plain and simple. Ooh, you know, that's it, strong right I, there, buddy. It is strong, you know, Mike. Because I think people don't understand that he wants you to be free on the inside, he wants you to be liberated, he wants you to be redeemed, he wants you to be whole. You know, he wants you to be. Just like he is, you know, walking holiness and righteousness, and and you can when you enter in with him. You can't without him. Yeah. <laughs> so this is what I don't understand. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much fame you have. If you don't have Jesus, you're still a sinner that needs a Savior. That's right. And He's the only one that can save you. He's the only one with no sin in Him. The rest of us are all sinners saved by grace. And He is holy and righteous. And He is the one that comes and. Cleanses you with His blood. His blood brings you to whole. Uh, his blood is it brings you to a wholeness mm. and a different place and a different understanding of who you are. And then you no longer have to be the person you was in the flesh, because now you operate in the spirit, just like Him.
0: And you wish everybody could get that. That's what that's what I love about Christ. He knew Daryl at your worst. He know he knows the Daryl you wouldn't even write about as much as you opened your story in the book, he knew all of that and loved you anyways and and loved you in spite of it and loved you as much then as he loves the Daryl now that's preaching and teaching and going across the country, sharing their story. You know, your last book title, I thought was powerful, Daryl, Don't Give Up On Me. Why are you so thankful God didn't give up on you when it would have been really easy to give up on you?
1: Well, I'm so grateful for the fact that I understand grace. And mm-hmm. I think the average person don't understand grace. And that's what Second Corinthians 12, 9, he says, And hey, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Right. So in our weakness, his, his strength is made perfect inside of us. And he gives us grace. And when we understand grace, grace is something that we don't deserve. That's right. And when you understand that you don't deserve it, now you understand Christ because he went to the cross for you and he shed his blood for you know a filthy sinner like me and that he would give me an abundant life and he would give me grace and he would give me grace over and over that I didn't deserve. And when you understand that you don't deserve grace, now you understand the living of who, who you are in Christ. And I think that's so important for all of us. I think so many of us, we we end up with the wrong identity. I just remember my wife, Tracy, was telling me, uh, um, you have the wrong identity. She said, when are you going to take that baseball uniform off? Mm. And I just looked. I've never heard nobody tell me that. She says, when are you going to take the baseball uniform off and do what God's called you to do? She said, when are you going to stop identifying yourself as Daryl Strawberry, the baseball player, and when are you going to be the man that God called you to be? And that's when I really knew right there that I needed to change. I needed to take the uniform off. you right. I, I, ever since then, I've t- I've taken that uniform off. I'm no longer Daryl Strawberry, the Major League Baseball player. Yes, I did play, and I understand that. But I don't carry that around with me. You know, I carry I carry around with me who I am in Christ. You know, and you know, understanding that Christ went to the cross and He mm-hmm. was crucified for me. You know, and and that's that Galatians two twenty. You know, sure. and. And, and, and when you understand who you are, that's who you pick up every day. That's who you rise up every day It's no longer I who live as Christ who lives in me. And, and now you live according to the principles. And it's so much easier living this way than that way. You know, so many people say, well, didn't you have fun? I had a great time playing ball, but still at the same time, Mike, I was completely separated. Yeah. I was separated from God, you know, you know, because of my sinful ways, let's be real about it. If we could, if we can, help people understand what is it keeps us separated is our sinful ways keep us separated from God I could never enter in because God is a holy God and you know he doesn't want to destroy me he could destroy all of us if he wanted to like that but he doesn't and he gives us that that grace to be able to continue to move forward and continue to grow into him so we can know the purpose why he created us and when we get to that place It's no longer about us. It's about the work that he's called us to do. And now you understand who
0: you are in Christ. Why do we struggle with identity so much? And I think you nailed it. And it doesn't have to be professional baseball. It could be our identity in business or identity as a coach or our identity as a parent or or a child or whatever it is. Why do you think that identity struggle is so real? And you did such a great job writing about that in the book. Why is that such a real struggle for people? because that's what that's what
1: society creates for us you know and we live in a society that creates that oh you're this oh you're that you know and then they put a they put a title on it uh, but, and, but if anybody really want to know I, I dove into the book of ecclesiastes and yeah. king solomon i would i would encourage you to read that i mean just don't don't read it one time read it over and over and over again and, and start understanding where where does a man go wrong and when i read that and, and I read through it, and the Holy Spirit showed me some when I read it. The first three chapters, he said, I, 46 times in the first oh three chapters. God. He said, I, I, he was talking about himself. You know, had he talked about, had, had, had he talked about God did this for me, and he would have stayed the course. And if we talk about how God done this for me and what God does for me every day, instead of I, keeps us off of our identity and we keep our identity on him. And I, I read that. I was blown away because he said, now circle every eye when you read through the first three chapters and count them. It was 46 times the first three <laughs> chapters. Can you imagine that? That's us. That's us it in, is. The, in the flesh. You know, we talk about, well, I'm this great businessman and I have this wonderful life and I live this. And what about God? Where's God and all that? I said, well, Holy spirit, what are you trying to show me? He says, Solomon went wrong because he didn't keep his focus on God. Doing all this, he says, I built this, I was this, I wanted this, I had that, you know. And that's what happens to a lot of us, you know. I'm this great baseball player, I'm this, I'm that, you know. We forget that God is the one that should be, we should be talking about and we should be giving the glory to, and everything that we do. I know that today, you know. And I, like I said, I saw Carter do that. I saw Carter, he never talked about himself, he talked about his faith. And what God had done in his life, you know, and you 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 were you were wondering why is a man like that that has everything talking about what God has done for him? Because he came into the big leagues at the age of twenty, and he served God his whole career in the major leagues. Now that's one hard thing to do. That 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 right there showed me what it is to really serve God. You because you know you could play major league baseball, whatever sports you play, and. A lot of guys come in. We say we serve in God, but a lot of straddle that fence. But they said Carter came in the league at 20 years old and walked in faith with God, and he's never compromised or wavered his life. That's one hard thing to do. And you know, I just I applaud him for you know who he was, and you just learn so much from a person like that.
0: That's powerful. You, you know, and the process of finding our identity, sometimes all the things that we've, I know we we use a statement at our church that I pastor a lot, never hold on to something that can't hold back onto you, right? So anything I can lose is a terrible God. It's a, it's a terrible, you had to go through some loss and you had to go through some experiences to lose a lot of things. In fact, I know in the book, in you, in this new book, Turn Your Season Around, you talked about be still and know that I'm God. How did the challenges of losing things that your identity had been wrapped around, how was that part of the process of discovering who you were created to be? That
1: was a great part of the process to discover who you, who you to be. Um, I think it's the most important part uh, because you gotta lose your life to gain. Mm, and mm. and I think when you understand losing losing stuff is is meaningless anyway at the end of the day and whatever i gonna gain I I, I gain far greater than I could ever imagine I, I gain so much uh, from the love of Christ and, and and walking with God and and obeying God I think more than anything I think that's the key right there is getting getting to a place of that Psalms 46:10 be still and know that I'm God that means Mike that means I have to sit. <laughs> and that means I got to, <laughs> and that you, the thing about it, Mike, I think a lot of people don't understand that means I have to sit alone by myself, not around a bunch of people, uh, not having a bunch of conversations about what I used to be. I remember when I started walking with God 17 years ago, almost 18 years ago. And when I came back and started walking with God the right way and all the players that I played with, uh, they were, their first question was like, well, let's see how long this will last, you know, yeah. about me. And I'm still rolling. I'm still, still, still going in this direction, and and they're still watching. They're still wondering, you know, uh, well, maybe he has changed. He hasn't come back because you know they thought I'd be back to drinking and women and all these things, and and it hadn't happened. And and that's because I allowed God to raise me up. Mm-hmm. I got away from everything. I got away from everybody. And what I did was, it wasn't an overnight miracle. Like God set me for seven years. I had to go through a seven year period. Phew. Of city. And and that was because God wanted me to get discipled. Discipleship is so important. And so many people miss the discipleship. We come down and have that conversion, and then all of a sudden we think it's gonna be just an easy walk. And here it is, the enemy comes like a flood and he rips you apart because he knows you have no foundation. So this time around, it was God sitting me for seven years. I used to wonder, because my wife was way advanced more than me. I used to like, God, why are you always speaking to her? He said, because she spends time with me? Mm, when are you going to spend time with me? <laughs> <laughs> and, and there it was, you know, I went that seven year period. I, I started spending quality time. I started making time and, and, um, at night and when, when she went to sleep I started spending time in quiet rooms with God and studying the word and everything. And, and that's where you grow. That's where you get discipled. That's how you, that's how you become everything God wants you to become because you can't, get there if you don't know him Mm. Mm. you know and so many of us just know the name jesus but we deny the power Mm.
0: you talk a lot about your wife she was a big part of this turning your season around wasn't she as you as you look at your story now daryl what would be different if she hadn't entered the story tell me tell me a little bit about that
1: well, if she hadn't entered, entered the story, if God didn't bring her in the story, I probably would probably would be dead, mm. you know, because I was I was shooting dope and smoking crack and down in South Florida, and she was banging on doors and pulling me out of dope houses and saying, God's got a plan for you. And I said, won't you let God just leave me here and let me die? And she said, you're just not that lucky, you know? and. <laughs> And I wasn't, Mike. You know, I think about it. I was not that lucky. You know, you thank God for it, because see, God's got a great sense of humor, and this is why. What, what what I what I learned so much about God, uh, of sparing a person' life. He used my mother to pray for me, That's and right. her prayers came. Her prayers came to pass. So she was dying when I found the journal under her bed. She was praying, God, knock him off his throne, save him, and do whatever you have to do. I don't care about his, his careers, fame, and none of that. And then he brings Tracy into my life, and uses her to pull me out of dope houses and she brings me back and she brings me back and takes me away. When we started this journey, I was $3 million in debt. I had nothing. I had no money, no fame or nothing. And she was loving me right in the midst of my sickness. And she was in recovery and she knew I was sick and she helped me through that process. And she brought me back and she brought me back to St. Louis and we started life here and she brought me back here with with her parents and stuff like that and, and got me well. And we got in church, and then I got discipled or set for seven years. And and God used God used God used the things that you love the most. When I was out there in the lifestyle, what did I what I love the most? Women, and He used two to straighten me out. That's right. I always say He's got a great sense of humor. If you can open yourself to see. You know what he's doing in your life, and I had to open myself to see it. I did, and it was through that period of those seven years when I was sitting, and I realized that God needed me to sit so I can grow because He didn't want to put you in a place where He did put you on a platform, and then because He knows, like what people don't understand, God knows that the enemy will put a chokehold on you if you're not equipped and you don't have a foundation. And I think so many people get into those positions; they want to be preachers, they want to be this, and they want to, and they want to. Be noticing everything, yeah. but they don't understand the enemy is real. God doesn't play; He knows how real the enemy is, and I think people don't know how real the enemy is. But I, through that period, I learned why He did everything because He knows that I need to be equipped and ready, you know, for the enemy when He does come attack. That I have a foundation. That's why I love Billy Graham so much. You know, of the way he preached the gospel yeah. because he preached the gospel of, of power, salvation, and, and repent, and all that. And and then you can stay close to God because if you right. don't think you if you don't think you have any kind of troubles and you think you got this all together, God knows the devil gonna come in and he's gonna tear you up.
0: It's real and and I love, you did a great job in the book, Daryl, talking about the enemy and how the enemy knows our weaknesses. I mean, he knows he knows the pitch that can get Daryl. Nine out of 10 times, and he's going he's gonna to throw that low and outside change up or whatever it is, knowing you're pulling off the ball. He knows that and comes at you, and you made a great, and you said something in the book I have never heard before. You used an acronym for SIN, self-indulgence now. And, and the enemy makes that temptation. He makes that offer. Why did you why did you call it self indulgence? Now that's how you think of what sin means. Explain that a little bit.
1: Well, yeah, because it is self indulgent. You know, when you when you when you look at it, it's 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 you operating in the flesh. Yeah. You know, and and that's what we don't understand. You know, we oper- when you operate in the flesh. The flesh. What does the flesh want? The flesh want more of what sin it's more yeah. of this you know and that's why it's, it's so important to operate and stay in your spirit man and allow your spirit man to flow through you uh throughout every every part of your life and learn how to because because you have to learn how not to operate in your flesh and you have to learn how to run mm-hmm. not that you're not not that you're so holy that you can't be tempted yeah but you know self indulgence when 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 you when you stand there and look and and, and, and continue to look then you're gonna like lure yourself right into it you know you better take your wondering eyes and you better keep on moving you know that's what i learned over the period you know uh of my faith walk and everything is is not to allow myself and allow my flesh to think well you know because somebody says something nice to you you think you thank you all that again you know yeah. and that's a, that that's an easy way to lure you right back in a uh, 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 a conversation you know and and you know, I just learned to safeguard my, you know, I, I learned to safeguard my my life. You have to learn to safeguard your life as a believer. And if you don't learn to safeguard your life, you will fall right back into that. It's, it's so easy for you to be able to fall right back into it.
0: You know, you you talked about it's been 18, 19 years walking with the Lord. But going against what's coming at you, you can't rely on what you did 18, 19 years ago. You get you give an illustration of the book. You got to step out of the box. You got to get your signs from the third base coach to know before you step back in. How do you look every day at your coach, the Lord? How do you do that every day? What's what's sort of the the disciplines you put in your life to step out of the box, get your signs for the day before the pitches start coming? How have you done that in your life, Darrell? Well, I've done it like I like I like I like to hear worship music mm. because it, it it brings
1: me closer to God. You know, when I wake up in the morning uh, before I get going in the day and have a cup of coffee and, you know, I hear I hear the worship song and it it just brings me to an understanding of who I belong to. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why that's where I like to enter in. You know, I don't I don't like to leave without that. I don't like to go anywhere without, you know, hearing, you know, hearing some type of worship in the morning to to make me uh, feel the presence of God over me. So that's my safeguard. That's like putting on my full armor. Of God, you know how you have to put it on before you even enter out there, or enter into you know the life that's out there and everything. And, and then I also I like to read, you know, some read some kind of uh, devotion or something like that. You know, uh, even if it's a book about the Holy Spirit or something like that, just to you know, something out of out of the word, something that that's gonna keep me, something that's gonna hold me. So if you don't feed yourself like food, what happens? you a star. That's right. It's the same thing with the word. If you don't feed yourself with worship and the word, you're gonna starve. And when you when you start starving, now you you get delirious. You know when you start when that's you right. start you and when you start starving, you you start thinking thinking a different way and everything. And, and I think that's important for you know you to understand because you have to understand who you are in Christ more than anything. Because this this walk is this walk here is not for wimps. This walk yeah. is for a man. You know, you're gonna have to stand up and you're going to have to say no to a lot of things and you can't compromise. And, and I learned that over the years, you know, like I said, I was I was really good to be able to see Mookie Wilson and Gary Carter never compromise. So I know it could be done. You know, if you saw other people never compromise that was in the same place you were, then why is it that you compromise? So I learned not to compromise anymore.
0: You, you made a statement. You know, I was trying to remain a friend of the world and a follower of Jesus, which is a recipe for disaster. And then you talked a little bit about Celebrity Apprentice. There you are. You've got a faith now. You're trying to live out this faith. And and that faith got put to a test. And you had a decision to make about, am I going to straddle here in the middle or am I going to step out? Tell a little bit of that story, because that's a great, great story. No question. You know, being on, the, on Celebrity Apprentice,
1: you know, I was... Yeah, I was there and there was a lot of things going on behind the scene and here it is, I'm walking in faith and you know, my wife looking at me like with two heads, you know, and it's like, really? You want to be on that? And I was like, Yeah, you know, I got invited and you know, I knew the president, Mr. Trump, and, and I knew him from New York days and and then I went on to the show and it it was good from the beginning, but when, once you once you get behind the scenes, it's it's kind of different, you know, it's a lot of a lot of going on, a lot of bickering, a lot of a lot of language and a lot of drinking and a lot of just a lot of everything you, and you can get easily caught up in it and and I realized that you know after a couple of times and and I realized that you know it was a way that I saw that I can like really slide out we lost the task mm-hmm. and I was like mm-hmm. I was not like the, the manager of the task but you know we were in the boardroom and and I, I just kind of saw a way to get out of that whole situation and then I didn't want to throw anybody under the bus or anything about what it was all about, but I just knew for me, you know, that I was, you know, walking with Christ and I just knew that I needed not to be a- around that, you know, and, you know, not that I judge anyone. It's just a place that wasn't comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. And I, and I found a way to get out and I ended up getting fired and I was grateful that, you know, I ended up getting out, but I went back to help Brett Michaels and at the end and he won and, you know, he blessed me with a twenty-five thousand dollar check, and and the, and the President Trump blessed me with a twenty-five thousand dollar check for my charity to help, and and that was a good part of it. I was able to help uh, kids with autism and everything. But at the same time, I realized that you know you can no longer you can no longer you, if you're talking about walking with Christ, you can't put yourself in a compromised situation because the the enemy is the enemy is real and he's slick. And he knows how, he knows if I can get you going in this area, then I can get you going in that area. And you got to be extremely careful about uh, where you put yourself. So I realized that that wasn't a place
0: I needed to put myself and I got out of it. That's really good, man. I'm really proud of you for that. You know, you, you think about Romans 8:28. you talk about this a little bit in the book. You wouldn't be who you are today if you hadn't have gone through what you went through. And I think some people look at it and go, wow, Daryl, those years were wasted that those years weren't all they could have been. How would you how would you counteract that thought that those years were wasted? What would you say?
1: It wasn't wasted. Uh, it, it was supposed to happen the way it's supposed to happen. And, you know, this is the story of of all our lives and who God calls, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and God calls you, you know. I mean, you think of Saul, when he called Saul, you know, and where was Saul? You know, Saul was this vicious man, you know, Christian killer. And, you know, and, and God stops a man like him and changes his life, and he becomes Apostle Paul, goes on to write 13 epistles. You know, it, it, it's supposed to happen the way God wanted it to happen. You know, see, if it was... If it's supposed to happen the way man wanted it to happen, I would have I went on and played baseball for another certain amount of years with no trouble if I would have went that way. I would have made another $60, $70 million playing baseball. But guess what, Mike? I wouldn't be sitting here today. I wouldn't know Jesus. I can tell you right now, I wouldn't know Jesus because I, I've seen... You know, from every person that go on to be successful and, and have the richness riches of everything, they don't have a relationship with Jesus. They just know him by his name or something, and they was like, I don't really need God because I have all the stuff. What do I need God for? And I've heard some guys say that. You know, what do I need God for? Well, he need God because you know he was lost and everything. But they don't realize that we are all lost and sinners, and you're sure. gonna need this guy one day because that money and that 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 fame is not gonna hold water when it comes to God, cause God's gonna meet, you're gonna meet God. And he's gonna say, what did you do for my kingdom? You had mm. a, plenty of opportunities to do for my kingdom. And then you say, well, God, I gave to charity. No, what did you do for my kingdom? And you know, that's gonna be a sad day for a lot of people. So I'm glad my journey went the way it did. I ended up in a Florida state prison with a T17169. I ended up with cancer twice, losing my left kidney. Jesus is the miracle maker. Mm-hmm. When you go to the book of John, the book of John is about believing. All it is is, is, is what Jesus did, the miracles, turning water into wine, feeding the 5,000, raising Lazarus from the dead, it's miracles after miracles, telling Nicodemus in John 3, unless one is born again, he can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. This man is incredible when you get to know him. And I think so many people don't know Jesus is Jesus is probably the greatest person you will ever meet. You can meet a lot of famous people, but they will never get up from a tomb. This man got up from a tomb, and he got up with all power, and he was resurrected. And he is probably the greatest that you are looking for and will ever meet in your lifetime,
0: Mike. You know, you put on a lot of great uniforms, 21-year-old, you— you, Pull on the the Mets jersey and you become an incredible rookie. You splash on the scene. You've worn the pinstripes of the Yankees. You've worn some iconic unis. You've worn the the Dodger Blue in your hometown. What does putting on his uniform mean to you? That every morning you get up and you put on this uniform of Christ that he gave you. But and and, and the beauty of all of those, they all wanted you in their organization. But he not only wanted you in his organization, he died for you to find your way in. What does it mean for you to represent him? What would you say? Well, to to represent Christ means more than putting
1: on a uniform because when you're done with the uniform, you're no longer with them. And when you represent Christ, uh, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. They will, people will forsake you and leave you and say what they want to say after you're done and you're no longer part of what they are and everything. But that's the good of, of putting on Christ every day. He's there every day for you, you know, and it's eternal. The thing about it is the average person don't know it's eternal life. It's not just life. It's the life, uh, abundant life that he gives you. It's the, the peace that he gives you. It's the, it's the clarity that he gives you. It's the understanding of, of walking that he gives you you learn how to walk you learn how to live according to uh, biblical principles not worldly standards and everything and you don't get consumed with earthly things now you're focused on winning souls and then helping others and giving back and uh, because you know there, that there's an end coming for all of us and you know that your work you want it to be said well done my good and faithful servant i mean, you know you experienced a lot of things you know in that lifetime but you've you found the way, you found the cross, you understand the symbol of the cross, you live according to what God called you to live according to. And that that's the joy of that, you know? I mean, you, playing ball is going to pass away, you know, this is all going to pass away, but your relationship with Christ will never, ever pass away.
0: Yeah. All those organizations that give up on you at some point, if you don't produce, they're going <laughs> to give up. And he never, and he never does. It's the amazing thing. He never gives up. You know, you did a great job in the book, Daryl, talking about all the innings that we play and every, every inning is a different thing we walk through, but there's, there's one, you know, in every game, I think there's a defining inning. There's an inning that, that you got to get through to win that game. You, you talk in the book about forgiveness. I think for me as a pastor, working with people, that's an inning everybody's got to play, but not everybody wants to play. You got to get through that inning. Why is forgiveness so integral to being all that God created you to be in the uniform now that you've got on? Why do we all have to handle forgiveness at some point?
1: Well, cause I think forgiveness is, is, is so important. And, and we, a lot of times, you know, we, we think it's about the other person, but it's really not, That's right. you know, and, I, and, and, and I'm going to use this one example, because my father was the one that rejected me and he was gone. He was out of my life and never in my career. And I, you know, I hated him and, and I didn't want a relationship with him at all. And, and, and then, you know, God saves me. And, and I'm getting ready to do a men's conference in California on a Saturday morning and my father's in the hospital down in San Diego. These are years after I've been saved. And, and God, God, God speaks to me and he says, I want you to go see your father. And he says, I want you to go down to your father and I don't want you to say anything about what he did to you. I want you to repent to him about what you did. And I was like, really? And he was like, I told my wife, he was all over me. And she, and she I called her and I said, you well, pray for me. And she said, well, you need to do what he said. And I said, well, I really don't want to do that, you know, because, you know, I can't really stand the man, you know, and this and that. And um, then I ended up going and doing, and obeying God and doing it. And I go down to see him in the hospital and there he is in the bed. And I go, I come in, we talk for a minute and I said, you know, the Lord has changed my life. And um, I just need to ask you to, to forgive me. I'm sorry for keeping you out of my life and career. Will you uh, will you forgive me?" And he said, yes, and a tear came down his eye. And I lost it, Mike. I just laid there in his lap and I just lost it. I just, boo, I cried. I mean, the Lord was all over me. I just cried, cried, cried. And then the Lord said, raise up. And and I raised up and he says, now lead him in the center of prayer. I said, would you like to accept the Lord in your life? And he said, yes. And there I was leading the man that rejected me and beat me. And I was leading him in the center of prayer. And he goes on to pass away, you know, a couple months later. But I remember in that moment, the time when I was driving home, the Lord was telling me, he said, the forgiveness was not for him, the forgiveness was for me. That's why I was broken all those years because I wouldn't forgive. Cause I thought it was about him. And he said, it was me. And then he reminded me too on this, Mike, he says, how dare you not forgive him and I forgave you. You know, how dare. And I was, and -hmm. I I just cry, I was crying home. He was just ministering to me. How dare you not forgive him? And I forgave you. And I was just crying as I was driving home. And he's, and he says, I want you to remember one thing. It's never about you. Mm -hmm. You know, and you know, that's where, that's where I learned the importance of what forgiveness was really all about. You know, we hold ourselves hostage because we won't forgive somebody else. And so many of us are like that. That's why people can't get to that place because they think it's about that person. And, it's really not. It's really about us. And, and you know, where is the reason why something happened in our life from that person, my father, why the Lord lead led me to go lead him to the Lord is because of his own personal journey that he went on when he was a kid. You know, you come to find out his father was an alcoholic and all he saw was his father beat his mother in front of me he was the only child so it it runs so much deeper you know when you really start understanding God and God's ways you know just like he always said his ways are not like our ways our ways are not like his and you know and when you start understanding his ways he's got such a such a way of getting us to a place so we can get to our the ultimate place that he wants us to be because when I went when I went down there and I did that with my father. I was released immediately. That's right. There was such a freedom that came over me, like I can't even I can't even explain. From all the things that I was, you know, hurting from and broken from, Mike, it was no longer there. It was just like it just came off. And you know, I was this new person, and and God started springing me forward now because you know I was obedient. You know, I I, I did what He said. I didn't want to. I didn't know why, mm. but I did it anyway, and it just changed the course of everything about my life. That that forgiveness part.
0: You know, I heard a guy here recently sharing about forgiveness, and he was talking about when Jesus said to forgive 70 times 7, and then he told a parable. And the parable was that when you don't, you're given over to torment. And that word torment is the same same idea of what you go through when you're separated from him for eternity of hell. And the, and the interesting thing he brought up was, if you ever ask somebody, if there's somebody they need to forgive, they'll probably say, no, nah, I've, I've done it. But when you ask them, do you feel tormented? Well, yeah, I do feel tormented. And the only release from it is the peace, which comes from forgiveness. And right. it is a powerful, you, you can come to know Christ and still have people you need to forgive. And it holds you back, right. And becoming so, man, that's to me, that was the inning for you as an outsider looking in at your life, to me, that was the inning that you became the player God created you to be on his field. That was the inning, man. You don't have that. You probably aren't where you're at today spiritually. No question. I no question about
1: it. I know for sure that it changed everything. It changed the whole game for myself because when I released that, I became such a new person. I became a different person. And I went on from there to make amends to everybody that i hurt you know because uh you know my first two wives and and the kids i went on to go back and tell them all you know how sorry i was you know i wasn't a good husband i mean i personally picked up the phone and called them Mm -hmm. and you know started telling them you know i i i was just i was i'm sorry i hurt i hurt you guys and i was just wrong and you know god has healed my heart and everything and i just want you guys to know that i'm um that I'm very sorry for what I did to you guys. You know, and then that's how you move forward. That's how you start to move forward right. in, in your in your life. And I think, thank God for that. You know, that's the grace that I always talk about that, you know, God pours upon us. And do we really use the grace that He gives us to go back and and and, and say we're sorry to people. Mm. And that's what that's what we deal with in society today. People are so selfish where they can't say they're sorry. And they want wanna be free and then they wonder why they're never free inside. And I would never be in the place I am today spiritually and have the wisdom and knowledge if I hadn't done the things that God had called me to do.
0: You know, there'll be a day, Daryl, that this game for Daryl Strawberry will end here. You know, every, every, everybody has a, has a, uh, a date written in that book. Scripture says that before we ever live, one of them, they were, God knew them, you know, before there was ever one, uh, they were written down. David in scripture and Acts, it says David served his purpose in his generation. And then he was, ad- he was done. He fell asleep. What do you think was the purpose that God created Daryl Strawberry for? What would you say?
1: I think it was the the purpose to, that I would, you know, I would go through what I had to go through, you know, the mess of my life would become his great message that would, you know, you'd be used to glorify him and uh, to show people that he's a good God. And, and I'm thankful for that, you know, that, that he would use, use my story to be able to show how good he really is and how much he really loves a person, uh, no matter how far down you go. And I, I think people need to understand that, you know, because they believe, well, I, I've done some wrong things. We've all done some wrong things. The Bible didn't say some of us would fall short. It said we all would fall short of the glory of God. And when we understand falling short is it, is not just certain people, you know, because I think my, my situation was publicly known in the public eyes and everything. But that God exalted me right in front of my enemies. Those that doubted me, those that said I would be dead. Yeah, they're right. The old girl Daryl Strawberry is dead. He no longer lives. He's he's been crucified and he's dead and he he's been risen. he's raised up by God in, in a different different light now. And I think that's the important thing that I wanna always remember. Um, uh, that I didn't do it. God did it for me. And when when everything is said and done is he might've had a lot of trouble, but he found his way. He sure did find the cross. You know, (laughs) the symbol of the cross is is great and holy and righteous and, and it's free and it's there for anyone that really wants to receive it.
0: I told you, you'd enjoy that conversation. You know, I really didn't know what to expect from the call boy after spending a little bit of time with Daryl though, there's no doubt who it was that changed his life. And I am so thankful that he gets to begin a brand new chapter. Now in this chapter, he's getting to make a difference, not to go on the back of a baseball card, but truly make a difference in people's eternities. I hope you'll go out and order a copy of his new book. I hope there'll be uh, links in our show notes where you'll be able to get copies of that. Also, if you've got young athletes, what a way to get them his story so his trial and error years don't have to be their trial and error years. Thank you so much, Daryl Strawberry. I appreciate what you did on the field, but I sure like this new chapter off the field because you are making a difference, my friend. It was an honor to connect my life with your life. Well, In our next episode, we get to sit down with another author and speaker, Tony Newhoff. Tony is an incredible leader in her own right, with extensive experience as a lawyer, a pharmacist, a church leader. But now, in her years of practicing family law, she brings all of her knowledge in, and she gets to unpack her story called before we split. You are going to love this time with Tony. Tony is married to Carrie Newhoff, who was also a guest on this podcast. And Tony just has a passion to see people and their marriages be all they could be. Before You Split is a brand new book that is for you and it's for me It's going to release here in January, and I tell you what, you are going to be better for reading her new book. So I can't wait to introduce you to Tony in our next episode. Well, once again, thanks for joining in today. Go out today, live the life that God created you to live, and go be all he created you to be in the space and the place that he has put you